Hello, and welcome back to the Chris Yeh Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh. And today we are going to be talking about mental samurai. I am joined by a very special guest, Dr. Ken Franklin, a real medical doctor, retired army veteran, critically acclaimed board game designer, and of course, one of my fellow season one mental samurai contestants. Say hi, Dr. Ken. Hi, Dr. Ken. Oh, well, I wasn't supposed to put the second part in there. Sorry about that. No, I, I set myself doing... up for that one. Yes, you did. How are you, Chris? I'm doing well. I was very excited, Dr. Ken, because I was looking on Facebook and I saw your notice that you're going to be starting to do in-person game nights again for vaccinated yes. folks. Yes, it's delightful. We, uh, One of the things I enjoy about board games is uh, sharing the joy of community and teaching positive interaction to other people through board games. And so until uh, COVID hit, every one to two weeks, we would have between 10 and 30 people at our house on Saturday nights, and we'd play board games on up to six uh, tables. And it was always a wonderful experience. And now that's uh, a significant amount of uh, Michigan is vaccinated, we're going to start it back up. Well, I will look forward to someday joining in at the table. Uh, the opportunity hasn't come up yet. We haven't seen each other in person since whatever it was when we recorded back in 2019. Since, since the interview night before the show. My goodness. Wow. So, but that is also a great thing. As a side note, I am actually going to be playing tabletop role-playing games in person this Saturday. My friends and I are getting together, all vaccinated, of course, to play Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition together in person for the first time since before the pandemic as well. So life finds a way. Delightful. Uh, I will comment that I uh, played a long campaign in college using the original Gary Gygax 1st Edition rules back in the 1970s. So I have a long and favorable uh, memory of Dungeons and Dragons. My uh, son, John, has actually written a couple of modules for fifth edition. Wow, that is really amazing. I'm gonna have to look up John and, and see some of the modules he wrote. Uh, the thing is that's interesting about the game Dungeons and Dragons is that it is more popular now than it's ever been. I mean, admittedly, I think you know, we originally had this boom in the 1970s and 80s, but it's come back with a vengeance and it's bigger than ever before. I think the critical role TV, I mean, TV and uh, YouTube streaming channel is all of the reason for that. I completely agree. It's like spectator sports. When you and I were growing up, I don't know, did you play baseball, football, basketball, all of the above? Poorly. Poorly. But did you ever bother to read a rule book for any of those sports or did you just pick it up by watching other people? Yeah, picked it up by watching. Absolutely. Exactly. And that's the role that critical role plays, I think, in this Dungeons and Dragons renaissance and tabletop role playing game renaissance. But enough of tabletop role playing games. That's not the core focus today. Dr. Ken, give us an update on what you've been up to during the pandemic, because, for example, I know that before the pandemic, I actually was able to catch one of your latest creations in stores, and you've probably got a couple of other games coming out. What's been happening in your life? Well, uh, I uh, helped uh, design a game called Imagineers, which is uh, currently on sale in the U.S. and Europe, which is a uh, board game about making roller coasters and theme parks. I was uh, hired by Calliope Games as their senior yeoman, which basically means the old guy that makes sure stuff gets done. And uh, I helped in the design of a wonderful game called Surro Phoenix Rising. 
And then uh, along with my friends, uh, Chris Leader and Kevin Rogers, we were uh, the designers of the Ravensburger game, Back to the Future Dice Through Time, which has uh, already sold um, close to 80,000 copies in three languages. Wow. That's incredible. And again, this is your second career. You were, after all, a physician saving lives for the U.S. Army for many, many years before that. I was in the Army for 25 and then continued as a family physician here in Vicksburg, Michigan for 15 years after that. I retired in um, 2017. Fantastic. Well, you and I were brought together by chance by this crazy game show, Mental Samurai, hosted by Rob Lowe. And their first season, which we filmed back in 2019, uh, 2018, aired in 2019. They intended to have a second season. I think you mentioned you might have even been on it had the pandemic not come through. Is that right? Well, I wasn't approached to, but I was pleading to. I want to get back on that uh, chair and uh, defeat Ava and get my redemption. Uh, because I, after six ride, I made a uh, mental block occur in my head and uh, failed on the question about the chain smokers. Well, to be fair, I don't think you had listened to the chain smokers before you heard that question. Nope. I'd heard, I'd heard of the band, but that was about it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, as you know, my friend Andres Alvarez has done a bunch of analytics on mental samurai and he rated your performance up to that point as one of the best of season one. So you were on track and doing great. And that's the thing, you just run into these blocks in your knowledge sometimes. It was actually the last mental samurai was the first person to beat my time through six questions. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take that as a consolation prize. Well, I will definitely lobby for your inclusion, not that they're listening to me <laughs> in season three, if possible, well, it's well, time for not? you to come back. Sure. Well, I'm sure you'd like to, too, but you already have all that money, so I don't know. Well, you, were the you... First, you were the first successful mental samurai, let's not forget. Well, that was certainly a very gratifying thing, but I actually think that Ben Bergstrom came through before me because I think I heard his run going on while I was waiting backstage. Ah, well, then in the order of taping, they put you before him, yeah. Correct. Yeah. But of course, they've actually changed the game up for this season. So now, unlike last season, when we could only compete once, if you win your day on Mental Samurai, you get to come back like a Jeopardy contestant. Absolutely. And uh, they've made a couple other changes. First of all, um, they've lowered the number of questions from uh, 12 to 10. Uh, you get $500 a question for everyone you get right, um, which is delightful. And then uh, no matter how you do, uh, you are in the chair to be the day's winner unless somebody answers more questions or answers the same number faster than you. Yes, this actually came up during our season on the ending of the season tournament because it turns out that Sam Durbin and I answered the same number of questions correctly, but apparently I answered the questions faster by a fraction of a second and thus won the tiebreaker and ended up in the absolute finals. Yes, that was exciting to watch. There was this whole period where afterwards they actually, I was sitting there on stage and they're like, hold on, we're reviewing something. I'm like, what on earth are they reviewing? What's going on here? And after about three or four minutes of review, they said, congratulations, you're moving on. I'm like, 
what on earth happened? I only found mm -hmm. out afterwards. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what we saw in episode one of season two. So what do you think about these changes? What do you think about what you saw? What really caught your attention? Uh, well, I noticed that the questions are a little simpler. Mm -hmm. uh, there were none so of I. the none of the sequence tower questions had four choices. They all had three. Um, the memory questions were pretty much the same. Um, there were fewer kinds of puzzle questions. The jigsaw piece, which for instance, was the one that got you your $100,000. They didn't show any of that type in the first episode. Is it going to happen in the next episode? We don't know. Uh, but uh, in the, um, the first tower, the knowledge tower was pretty much the same. So there was a couple where the questions were a little simpler. Um, the other thing I noticed is that I knew all of them, which caused this growing, gnawing hunger in the center of my being. Um, I was, as you pointed out when they were now analyzing the show, I didn't wait for a Ava to finish a question. If I knew the answer, I locked it in because time is important. And I was shouting out the answer halfway through all during the hour. And um, my wife was a witness. I knew 100% of the first day's questions. And that, you know, oh, I wanted it. I felt a lot of sympathy for the contestant who uh, blocked on her first question uh, that was the star in the picture of $2. Yes. I know exactly what was going through her mind. Uh, she couldn't change the, le the picture of $2 into the word bucks. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I had the same experience. And uh, I will say that I knew the answers to all the questions as well. Not surprising. This is we're both excellent mental samurai competitors. And I do think that the questions were slightly easier. But I might have missed it because you may recall the thing that caused Anthony Trucks to go out on question number eight. He got it wrong. But it was also a classic mental samurai sort of trap, which is you would instinctively say, I'm going to name them in order of most to least perishable but it was actually the opposite that was asked for yes well uh, as you well know chris uh you have to be paying attention because that's one of the things that the sequence tower is going to do to try to trip you up and the other thing of course is because the dynamics of the game are different and i do think that this changes things the fact is that it felt like there was less of the time pressure that we felt in our season and it generally felt like it paid off more to take your time and think through the questions because the goal was to answer as many questions correctly as opposed to necessarily trying to rush through and worry about being able to finish on time. Because in our case, if you didn't finish on time, that was it. You had no chance. But in this case, you might even if you don't get through all the questions as long as That's you keep right. getting them right. That's right. Well, uh, and you and I you know, know that there, our styles are different on that. Uh, you you were classic in your run in talking through every question. And when you knew you had plenty of time, like your very last question, you had 40 seconds. So you were very, very careful to make sure that you had the right answer. Um, and again, with 10 questions instead of 12, I think the time pressure is off a little bit. Uh, it really depends on what your goal is. And that moving finish line, based on who's in the chair ahead of you, is significant. Um, farther, you know, furthest the fastest 
is a significant part of it. Absolutely. And it was fascinating. Again, the other thing that's interesting about this approach is it means that they don't have the opportunity to do as much editing of the show because the actual sequence matters. So in our season, all the runs were filmed separately and maybe even on different days and then sliced together to form a particular episode. They were able to figure out, okay, well, here's what we want to do to show this. And everything, each run was essentially independent, but in this case, they're all interrelated. So you don't have as much leeway to play around with the storylines. Yeah, I thought it was fun that uh, during the runs as a contestant was approaching the current champion that uh, Rob would bring them into the discussion for a little comment or two. I also noticed a little bit of change in Ava's behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ava went to the first question very rapidly on all of the runs in season two. And um, although there was lots of twists and turns with every move, uh, there was a new straight over the top move that she put in that I thought was interesting and was a little fun too. And part of it is, and this is known to people who've been following the progress of the show via television, via news coverage, the show was actually shot in Europe as opposed to Los Angeles because of the pandemic. And so it was a literally a different Ava than the one that we filmed on. Exactly. I believe it was in Portugal, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I, that's what I remember as well. It might be Portugal, might be Spain, one of those two, somewhere in the Iberian Peninsula, I'm pretty sure is where it happened. Yes. So I haven't yet had a chance to interview any of the contestants, but I am talking to one of them on Monday. So I'll start to get some of the interesting details. That's great. You are a very resourceful gentleman. Well, the beauty is they put their name up on the screen. So as long as I have the person's name and profession and location, I can usually find them. Not everyone. If they're not on LinkedIn or Facebook, guess what? I'm out of luck. Right. But for the most part, I'm able to find folks. And I thought that it was interesting if I were casting and producing the person they had go first on a night is probably Mm -hmm. very important. And so in the case of episode one, they had Anthony trucks go first and Anthony, if you look up his background, he's actually an inspirational speaker and coach. So he's someone who is very used to being on stage. So it's a good choice to have that person go first because you can imagine they'll probably do a good job bantering with Rob and the other contestants. And in fact, he was bantering quite a bit with the contestants before he was knocked out. Right. Yeah. Again, confidence, I think, plays a huge role in this game. Uh, You can't let Ava get into your head. It's not about, oh, my goodness, what's happening to my body? It's a mental game. Um, I've I've thought about the tension of how they adjusted season two. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, having the questions a little easier means you get to see people win more and adding money in means you don't have as many people leaving empty handed as I did. Uh, I have friends like my, one of my fellow game designers who said they just really didn't want to watch the show after a few weeks because it was so depressing to see so many people leave empty handed. But on the other hand, look at, the opposite game, Ninja Warrior. Mm-hmm. Most of those people, you leave their empty-handed. They don't make it through the course. But those people do that 
as their daily job. They are trainers, they are athletes, they are coaches. And so they are getting income for doing what they do. Um, there are very few professional game show players as far as I know. Well, it depends. There's people who are semi-pros and it, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that I noticed, for example, is that obviously they made a big deal out of Aaron McLean being a game show professional, somebody who had actually won the Jeopardy College tournament, which is a big, big deal. Yeah. But uh, at least one other one of the other folks like Michelle Joy Nixon had previously been on uh, a game show as well. So I do think that, you know, look, they, they like to draw on people who have game show experience. I think you and I were both game show neophytes, but many oh. of our fellow competitors were really, really used to this. Yeah, uh, I would say as a game show contestant, absolutely a neophyte. As far as a game show aficionado, I had been making a point of watching every new game show as it came out since about age seven. Wow. And uh, I, I just enjoy the format so much and I, I really love it. And uh, I've continued to try to get on other shows have been completely unsuccessful since Metal Samurai season one. But, uh, you know, I'm still here, Rob. I'm still here, Mr. Aploff. Give me a call. <laughs> Let me tell you, you should be on television because, A, you're a fantastic character. You've got a great personality. And, of course, you're really, really good. And oh, I you. think that that combination is, you know, rare because there's a lot of these folks. They choose them. I mean, they have these incredible backstories for these contestants. But they also need to be able to deliver the goods on right. screen. Right. Now, one of the things that was interesting to me, and I commented in my recap podcast, was the approach that people take to gridlock, which is the mm -hmm. basically finding the words in the matrix of letters. Mm -hmm. What's your thought on how to go about it? What's your system? Oh, it's systematic. You, they're all going to be horizontal forwards or up and down forwards. Mm -hmm. So that means you have to look at 12 columns. So top, 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 left, 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 left done. It shouldn't take more than 15 seconds to do one of those gridlock puzzles. Yes. As long as you're as long as you're reading and not just looking at a gestalt of 36 letters. Exactly. And the funny thing is this thing actually tripped up Aaron McLean, who is the game show professional. She yep. was going in and taking what I also think is exactly the wrong approach, which is trying to guess the words and then look for them. No, just read the letters. That's all you had to do. Oscar was right there. Very easy to read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the things that surprised you about the contestants and their various runs? Were there any things that grabbed your attention? Uh, well, I think picking somebody who is afraid of roller coasters was an interesting choice. Certainly great television. But, um, you know, if, you, if you're unable to focus, not so much. Uh, I don't think there's anything that I would that I objected to. It was just it was fun to watch, and I'm really delighted of the change of of rewarding even small success. Absolutely, and I think that you know the other thing I like to mention to people about game shows is they say, "Oh, well, they don't want people to win." I'm like, are you kidding? Of course, they want people to win. The prize money is the smallest of the costs associated with putting on the game show, mm -hmm. and so I do think this was very smart. I wish it had been on for season one because presumably I would have gotten some money for finishing second in the season-ending tournament. Yep, exactly. 
Yeah, and as, as we saw, the, uh, the gentleman who won and is going on to the second episode, you know, he essentially, instead of four questions, had another 10-question run yeah. uh, with significantly higher stakes. And so he's pocketed 30000 no matter what. And I think people like to see that. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about Gleb because he was the winner for episode one. What did you make of his performance? What did you think about his runs? Oh, I just, I thought he was uh, doing everything right. Uh, the, again, the only thing that I would have done differently is uh, he is more of, along the style of what you had. He was very right, good at deliberate. talking. Deliberate, talking things out you know, using the entire uh, time on the we on the uh, clock. I'm not that way, but uh, that's the only thing I would change. He's, you know, he was calm, he was collected, he was focused all the way through. And that's the other thing that's interesting, which is the rule changes no longer benefit you as much in some sense, in terms of the speed. Now the speed is important because of furthest fastest. Right. But they no longer carry over leftover time into the circle of samurai. So that was that an interesting change. Yes. I don't, I, do you think it was because they were, were balancing the, hey, furthest, fastest provides enough incentive already. We want people to take longer. What do you think was going on in people's minds? Well, I don't, I don't, I can't, I'm not a producer. So you're I a can't game lose. designer. So you understand why people make well, these decisions. Yeah. I think that uh, a bonus round, which is essentially what he went through, needs to have some time to it to build tension and excitement. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think going to a, an entirely separate round makes more sense for good television. Uh, you know, just answering four questions when there's a lot of money at stake, as you know, uh, carries with it its own excitement, but it's maybe harder to transmit that excitement through the screen to the audience. Yeah. The other thing that was an unfortunate factor that they couldn't work around entirely, which is because of the pandemic, the show had to be shot without a studio audience. And yep. the thing that's missing from these runs is those reaction shots of the audience members, which were often such an entertaining part of it. And, and my sister who had come with me to uh, attend and see me perform actually ended up in like four or five different reaction shots. So it was, it was not just not from my run, but from other people's runs. <laughs> uh, and those reaction shots were so strong. But obviously, in this case, the only reaction shots that were possible were, were Rob's reaction shots. And he's great, but it doesn't have that same variety. Well, that just means we're going to have to have season three. Absolutely. Another and shot for both of us. I, th I think that they should bring us back. There's one other thing I haven't mentioned yet, and that mm -hmm. is, at least in the first season, as the sequences were shown on television, the memory tower was destroying people. Absolutely. The questions, you know, there were fewer live action shots to pay attention to but they still had the listen to the voices, um, the sequences, pick the right picture out of sixes, which were all hard to the first round of contestants, but were not a problem to hardly anybody uh, in the first day of season two. I did find that interesting. And again, uh, the I know Dave Lim did end up going out on a memory tower question, right? Uh, but it was one of those ones where I think 
I, I made no secret going into season one when we were shooting these things that I thought that memory was my weakest category. And sure enough, it did end up tripping me in the end in the season finale. But afterwards, I spent time with our fellow contestants, Ron White and Luis Angel. Mm -hmm. And I tried to learn from them. Hey, how do you do these memory things? And right. it sort of boiled down to chunking and right. being able to draw the chunks together and the connections between those things. And so I was right. actually able to, to get the memory towers this time around. Exactly. Um, it's, it's just so fun to do, you know, uh, approaching puzzles, um, putting yourself up against a challenge is so much fun. Uh, one of the things that I've done during the um, pandemic, um, I'm a big fan of escape rooms, which oh. are time, obviously time pressure puzzles. I've done about 15. And um, there are some places around the country that were offering Zoom escape rooms. And I've been trying to keep myself sharp doing those kinds of things and enjoyed it. I actually wrote one. It hasn't found a home yet, but I wrote an escape room based on my game, The Mansky Caper, that I'm hoping oh. will see the light of day sometime. Fantastic. Wow. Well, I will be looking forward to hearing more about that. And the other thing that just strikes me is, again, as we've gone through this discussion of the episode and the changes is the level of analysis that you bring to this. It's obviously that game designer background, the ability to see the strings that are being pulled in the background. It is just really impressive how you oh. really zeroed in on these things and understood the differences. Well, thank you. That was kind words for you to say. Well, these were things that I didn't even notice. I was like, oh, wait, I didn't. They did that. I did. I, it, when you said them, I realized afterwards, oh, wow, the sequences were all three instead of four. But I didn't realize it in the moment. And that's yeah. something that a brilliant game designer does. Well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. So we've got an entire season coming up. I hope that I could convince you to come back and help analyze a couple of these episodes. Oh, sure. Yeah, I've got it on record and I'll be watching every single one of them. And uh, and I will continue to comment on them on social media and hope that the producers notice. <laughs> well, we'll work on that because I think at some point in time, we got to team up. We got to go on one of these uh, team based shows together. I think that you would be I a would, phenomenal. Partner. I would love that. Yes, please. Because in addition to everything else, I mean, you would be, uh, I would describe it as you would be like Captain America. You would figure out all <laughs> the things that we needed to do. Hey, you got to do this. You got to do that. We could put together our own little Avengers team. Uh, I'm not so sure how I look in tights, but uh, we can go on that. Sure. It looks, you look great. You know, I've, I've gained <laughs> weight during this pandemic. You look fantastic. Well, I did gain some weight, but uh, I've, on January, I started noticing, I'm 66 years old, uh, that this body's not going to last forever. And so I made a point after the first of the year of starting on some dedicated exercise and diet, and I've dropped 25 pounds, and I hope to keep it off. Well, you look great, as always. You look fine before, but I noticed the healthy look right when you popped on the screen. I'm like, Dr. Ken looks even younger than he did before. <laughs> You're in a very small minority there, but again, I'll take the compliment. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Ken, thank you again so much for taking time out of your schedule to do this. Again, if people want to follow up, find your games, is there a centralized location on social media where they can find you and learn about you? Uh, well, you can search for designer names on a seat, uh, on a, uh, site called boardgamegeek.com. 
You can find two of my games at calliopegames.com. Uh, I am on Twitter as Ken Plays to Grin, K-E-N-P-L-A-Y-S, the number two and G-R-I-N, and of course on Facebook. Well, Ken, thank you so much again. I cannot thank you enough. I hope that you'll be coming back at various points in time during the season, and I can't wait to see what new wrinkles the show <laughs> producers have in store for us, and you will be here with me to break it down. No, that's that's a delightful prospect. Thank you so much, Chris. And I hope you're enjoying yourself and have blessed days as well. Thank you, Ken, as always. Everyone, please tune in next week for another recap episode. Hopefully we can get Dr. Ken back in again to help me analyze. And I will look forward to hearing and seeing you again soon. Thanks again. God bless. <laughs>